and welcome to the Weekly Skeptic, episode 13. I'm Nick Dixon, and I'm joined as ever by the most cancelled man in England, Mr. Toby Young. And today we'll be talking about the most cancelled man in America, as Kanye West brings his friends to meet Donald Trump, and it didn't go that well. Elon Musk goes to war with Apple, and our godless culture tries to claim Jesus was trans. Plus, of course, our weekly roundup with Will Jones and podcast segment of the year, Peak Woke. So, Toby, should we start with this uh, Kanye now yay madness i wrote an article about this on my Substack that's incredibly in-depth and i i advise everyone to go to that and it's worth a subscription fee alone because i've put an extraordinary amount of work into that hundreds of hours really of research in total and what this was was yay west decided to get milo yiannopoulos and nick fuentes on board who are let's say pretty controversial figures and bring them to a meeting with donald trump at mar-a-lago he wasn't expecting it from what we know trump didn't know these people he didn't know they were coming but he was very impressed with Nick Fuentes, but that didn't go particularly well in the press and led to headlines like Trump very taken with Holocaust denier Nick Fuentes. So I, I know about this in extreme detail and I've written this article, but Toby, what was your take on it? One thing I'm not clear about is um, was was the arrival of all three a complete surprise to Trump on Thanksgiving or, or had he invited Ye, but not the other two and Ye just turned right. up with a couple of mates? That's correct. He'd invited Ye, and that's why Ben Shapiro was saying his mistake was inviting Ye, who he called an anti-Semite. And then he's like, of course, he's going to bring his anti-Semite friends. It's like the sort of woke dinner party from hell, isn't it? So you can imagine the four worst people in the world you'd want to spend Thanksgiving with, and it would be them (laughs) um, if you were hyper-woke. Yeah, it's pretty bizarre, isn't it? I mean, Ye, Ye is obviously completely off his rocker. I mean, why on earth did he think it was appropriate to, you know, I mean, You'd think he'd value an invitation to spend Thanksgiving with, you know, the Trumps at Mar-a-Lago. So why on earth would he have turned up with, you know, these two chances? Um, It's just bizarre. Uh, And clearly, you know, he's never going to be invited to Mar-a-Lago again, I wouldn't have thought. I mean, it's it's embarrassing for Trump. And in the course of the um, dinner, didn't didn't Ye say, um, I want you to be my running mate? Yeah. Was that a a gag or was that just his gargantuan ego knowing no bounds in my article i call it a self-aggrandizing piece of trolling which is really what it was but he also asked him some serious hard-hitting questions like why have you abandoned the january 6 prisoners which is a sort of serious question yes it's not quite clear what Ye is hoping to achieve are they just trying to hold trump to account on the right is it a kind of stunt is it just narcissism who knows what it is? But, you know, people like Fuentes, whatever we say about Fuentes, obviously a very controversial figure, on the, was on the no-fly list, had half a million dollars frozen in his account by the FBI. Both of those have now been resolved. But as I say in my article, there's no point listing the controversial things he said because he said all of them, like every possible uh, stance you could have that's controversial. He has it, you know, uh, interracial marriage is against it. Uh, women aren't fully rational. Um, Putin is a hero, you know, and we could go on. He uses the N-word. For, you know, in a comical context, but still frowned upon. So although he has Mexican heritage, but that doesn't seem to particularly this help with that. This would basically be like me bringing you to Christmas dinner with Rishi Sunak. <laughs> he, Rishi Sunak <laughs> invites me to Checkers for Christmas lunch. And instead of bringing my wife, I bring um, Lawrence Fox and Nick Dixon. Um, I can't... <laughs> I don't know which one I am in this uh, in, in this uh, analogy, but uh, I, I resent the implication anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. Okay, and Fuentes gets some things right. Yeah, he wants a Christian theocracy where women can't vote. 
okay, he's right sometimes, <laughs> but you know, he's not. He's, I'm not saying he's right on everything. All dealt with in my article, guys. NickDixon.substat.com. The thing about Yay is that whenever you hear him speak, whenever you read him interviewed, when you look at his Twitter feed, his actions, he doesn't just seem, you know, off his meds. He just seems quite stupid. Um, and, and so the, the, the question is, how did someone seemingly so thick become a billionaire, sell so many records, become so successful? I remember that, you know, that, that phrase in America, if you're so smart, how come you're not rich? But if he's so dumb, how come he's so rich? It is sort of baffling, isn't it? Well, he's a musical genius. He was a, he was a genius producer initially, and then he was a genius rapper. And if you listen to him rap, it's, it's incredibly good. His speaking verbal IQ doesn't seem to be on a par with his rapping IQ. Maybe it's like people who have a stammer, but when they sing, they get rid of it. If you listen to his raps, you know, they're brilliant. So you go, and his freestyling as well. So he is a kind of genius, but it doesn't necessarily translate to political commentary, um, it seems. But the story's got even weirder since, is all I was going to say, because since then... Um, there's this rumor that Milo was just doing all this to get revenge on the Republican Party because he, he put out a parlor post at one point and that's what he wanted to do. Then Laura Loomer has released all these telegrams of Milo attacking Kanye. And, 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 and so now the rumor is he's just doing it all to attack Kanye or to attack the Republican, or some sort of elaborate Milo scheme. And there's also a suggestion from Raheem Kassem that he's been tweeting as Ye's account because it's Milo's style in the tweet. And then yesterday it got even weirder. Tim Poole had Ye... Nick Fuentes and Milo on his Timcast show. It was like an epic show to get that many big guests. But unfortunately, Ye walked off very early on because uh, he didn't like Paul's line of questioning. And obviously, Kanye's got some nuts views. But to be very neutral, Tim Poole can also be quite condescending and rude to his own guest. I thought he was so rude to Jason Miller once, I'm surprised he didn't bash him through the wall. It was He's unbelievably rude sometimes to his own guest. So Ye just walked off. And it was kind of like, for, for people of a certain generation, do you remember when Clive Anderson was interviewing the Bee Gees? And um, <laughs> one of them walked off, the main one. So then the other two had to walk off. So Ye and, and, and Fuent- uh, Milo and Fuentes, sorry, obviously had to walk off because their guy had gone. They can't just stay there because that's like a, a betrayal then, isn't it? So they all just walked off. All right. So the whole show lasted about five minutes. Yeah, it was about 20 minutes. And then it was th- those, those lot sort of hand-wringing and an- analysing it for the remainder of the of this two hours because they have to do the set time. <laughs> So, yeah, it's all got pretty weird, guys. Read my article if you want to know more. We don't have time to go into it more today because Toby's just announced he's on a tight deadline. So let's crack on and do Elon Musk because Musk put out this tweet saying that he promised an amnesty to anyone unless they'd broken the law or engaged in egregious spam, which potentially opens the door for certainly Milo, perhaps even Nick Fuentes, maybe even Alex Jones to come back. And this was, uh, so that, what do you think to that, Toby, first of all? Well, 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 the Free Speech Union is claiming full credit for this because um, uh, <laughs> hours before um, Elon Musk announced this amnesty, we launched a petition urging Elon Musk to stop banning gender critical voices on Twitter. And, you know, within hours of this petition being launched, um, Elon Musk announced that there would be an amnesty for people who had been banned uh, for breaching their content moderation policies, uh, provided, as you say, they hadn't egregiously spammed or broken the law. And I think that, that you know, that, that, so I think these gender critical feminists and others who we were urging Elon to reinstate all qualify, and I imagine will be reinstated quite shortly. So it was probably the quickest victory ever. Uh, and in truth, <laughs> I don't think the two things had much connection. Willie A did a poll and 72% were in favour. So once again, he said, Vox Populi, Vox Dei, they're coming back. 
He's also in a war with Apple because um, he's accusing Apple of censorship and uh, and they, they have a tendency to to dictate to people on their app store what they're allowed to say and not allowed to say. So Musk has suggested that Apple release this information. He's even said he might do his own phone if necessary, if Apple become too much of a problem. Have you been following this, uh, Toby? Yes. Um, and I think actually um, the threat to set up a rival phone is quite credible because presumably the the asset that a rival Musk phone would have is that um, it would be able to connect with his sort of Starlink network of satellites and you would be able to access Wi-Fi wherever you were in the world. There would be no not spots, you know, even in Suffolk. <laughs> um, you know, you'd be, able to, you'd be able to connect to the internet anywhere because you'd be connecting via his satellites in the sky. And that would be a kind of, that would pose, I think, a significant threat both to Android and to Apple. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I, th- I think they'll take that seriously. And, um, yeah, I hope they don't ban Twitter from their stores. I mean, it would be a pretty a pretty egregious um, thing to do. But maybe they will. I mean, they did. They banned Parler, didn't they, for a bit? Yeah. Well, Musk said Apple has threatened to withhold Twitter from its app store, but I w- won't tell us why. He put out this poll. Should Apple publish all censorship actions it's taken that affect its customers? He's been really hammering Apple because they've been hammering him, trying to withdraw from him. And it's a terrible look for them, of course. They are anti-free speech. So this is the new battleground that we have a free speech billionaire finally against the trillionaires of Apple and all the rest of the evil apparatus of big tech and the media. And Musk has even said the Twitter files on free speech suppression soon to be published on Twitter itself. The public deserves to know what really happened. And that's immense. I said, I hope he's in a witness protection program. I'm a bit worried. (laughs) <laughs> because that that could be very damning for a lot of people. Yeah, one of the surprising things about this is um, how Apple has changed. You know, since it's you know how how far it's drifted from its original mission. Do you remember that Steve Jobs quote that you know was emblazoned across Apple's corporate HQ? Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. But the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius because the ones who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones who do. Now, that is... That's not just a description of Steve Jobs. That's a description of Elon Musk. That's supposedly the people that Apple was created to serve. It was going to facilitate the creativity of these world historical geniuses like Elon Musk. And now it's kind of now it's 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 become the exact opposite of that. It's it's as though it's it exists to suppress people like Elon Musk from changing the world and maintain the status quo. You know, once upon a time, Apple was all about smashing Big Brother. Apple's now become Big Brother. I mean, it's really shocking. Absolutely. And it's the difference between Steve Jobs and Tim Cook, basically, isn't it? It's basically the Tim Cook era. He's been good at getting the stock price up, but he hasn't got the creativity of Jobs, and it seems like he's uh, he doesn't have the soul either. Um, just briefly, did you think anything of Sam Harris leaving Twitter? So Sam Harris deleted his account, as did Claire Lehman, and uh, Sam Harris is fond of thought experiments. So I put out a little tweet saying, thought experiment, you know, Sam Harris doesn't believe in God or free will. Who forced him to flounce off Twitter was my question. And um, he had 1.5 million followers. He, I don't know if he left because of Trump derangement syndrome or to try and delegitimize Twitter, as Brett Weinstein has asked. 
uh, or you know, or if he just wants to go to Mastodon and have great fun on there with all the lefties. But a lot of people said to me, we've never heard of Sam Harris. And I requested that people stop saying that because actually he's got 1.5 million followers. He's pretty well known. So it's not particularly, it doesn't particularly make him look bad when you say that. Probably makes you look bad. But anyway, he's he's gone now. Any thoughts? Yeah, I think that's disappointing because, um, you know, him and Claire going is disappointing. I mean, you know, they were they were pivotal members of the intellectual dark web, which was the kind of original anti-woke coalition. Um, and uh, they both... Uh, great champions of free speech. And that was one of the reasons they were anti-woke. They didn't like its kind of authoritarian, dogmatic strand. Um, And here they are suddenly siding with, you know, um, the enemies of free speech. I guess they don't see it that way. I think perhaps they just think Twitter's become too much of a kind of circus now. And the plaything of a kind of infantile billionaire um, and they haven't got time for it. Or maybe they were just spending too much time on the platform and this was a good excuse to, you know, get their lives back. I don't know. Uh, but I was, I was disappointed. I, I like both of them a great deal. Well, I don't particularly, but I don't want to disclare because I suppose you know her, but she seemed to go a bit mad during lockdowns, many thought. And Harris, you know, he went mad due to Trump derangement syndrome. We all saw it. But let's uh, crack on and with uh, this terrible story, really, about trans Jesus. So Jesus could have been transgender, according to a University of Cambridge dean. So this guy, Joshua Heath, came in and made this shocking claim, saying that the, in certain paintings, a wound on his side resembled a vagina. And Dr. Michael Banner, dean of Trinity College, said such a view was legitimate. And uh, this is just appalling, heretical nonsense, of course. I almost didn't want to talk about it because it makes me so disturbed and angry. It's another example, surely, of the uh, church being taken over by would you call them saboteurs, leftist infiltrators? And, you know, there, there is some precedent. This guy, Simon Woodman of Bloomsbury Central Baptist Church, in the past claimed that uh, Jesus transgenders himself on a number of occasions. And he cited things like looking to gather Jerusalem as a mother hen gathers her chicks. And he cited the fact that Jesus was washing feet, which was really a woman's role, which is a bizarre claim that that makes Jesus trans. I mean, any thoughts on, on this madness, Toby? Well, I'm I'm relieved on behalf of this junior research fellow that he didn't say the same thing about the Prophet Muhammad, because I imagine he'd, he wouldn't still be alive if he had. Um, it's pretty shocking. It does feel like kind of uh, almost like trolling kind of Orthodox Christians, doesn't it? What's the worst possible thing you could say to them, which is likely not, to not even that go. Orthodox, just any Christian, really? Yeah. I mean, uh, what's surprising to me is that One hypothesis about why the woke virus has managed to get such a grip on the souls of kind of, you know, um, affluent white liberals in the West is that it fills the God-shaped hole left by the ebbing away of the Christian tide. And I think that's a plausible hypothesis. Um, But the counterexample is, well, if it fills a God-shaped hole for those who, you know, if they were born at another time, would be Christian. Um, How does it manage to infect people who are apparently Christian? Um, You know, they don't have a God-shaped hole, but they seem as susceptible, if not more susceptible in some cases, you know, particularly Anglicans, um, to being infected by this virus as, you know, as as non-Christians. I mean, Catholics, Muslims, they seem to have antibodies to the virus, but wishy-washy, upper-middle-class liberal Anglicans seem to be as vulnerable to it as, you know, their non-Christian counterparts, which is slightly puzzling. I think the only thing I can think of is that they're on a sort of quest to a mission to make 
Christianity, Anglicanism, the Church of England, more relevant to kind of young people today, to students. And their way of making it relevant is to try and wokeify it. So if they can present Jesus as, you know, potentially trans, they think that will bring, you know, young people into the church. I think that's the only explanation I can think of. Well, that's a generous explanation. I tend to think that they're just uh, evil ideologues who have been, you know, convinced by woke ideology and and, and are simply going to destroy the church at all costs. But but we are we are getting more and more evidence for Andrew Tate's claim that Islam is the only religion that enforces its rules. I'm not thinking of converting just yet, guys, but I'll, I'll keep you all updated. You, you, you could become a kind of Christian jihadi in which you, you could kind <laughs> of, uh, you could start stalking this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I might um, just dress up in the old, uh, the old armour with the uh, St. George's Cross and get over to the Middle East. But Let's uh, let's move on <laughs> to as a crusade. So let's move on to this Balenciaga madness. I'm sure you followed it. Balenciaga released this bizarre ad campaign with sort of children holding sexualized teddy bears. I guess you'd describe it as. And then Balenciaga Adidas had an adjacent campaign where they even had a court document in there which showed that which would reference the a child pornography uh, type ruling in in court. And it was this. You'll have seen it. It's this horrific bizarre ad campaign and then the photographer tried to disavow the whole thing and everyone's tried to blame everyone else i think blenciaga shut down their social media and kim kardashian finally commented on it she was weirdly quiet on it when she finally issued a statement and the statement was more or less that you know i'm I'm waiting to see how they of course i was shocked by it like you all were but i've been waiting to see how they deal with it and and wait to sort of evaluate my relationship with them going forward and it's like you don't need to do that, Kim. Either they're promoting child porn or they have such poor judgment that they allowed a child porn shoot to go out. Either way, you just walk away from that company, surely, Toby. Yeah, I thought her statement explaining why she hadn't said anything sooner and also seemingly setting out her rationale for not severing links with Balenciaga but remaining as a sort of spokesperson was pretty feeble. And, uh, you know, like you, I thought she probably should have walked away. Um, But I imagine they're paying her a great deal of money and maybe she doesn't have too many other offers coming in. Um, It's as though someone has like, you know, like a like um, an evil genie has put a curse on Ye and Kim Kardashian. Um, They both seem to have, you know, misfortune has befallen both of them. They've both fallen from a fairly large height over the past couple of weeks. At the Kanye Thanksgiving debacle, um, Trump apparently said some um, disobliging things about Kim and Ye got quite annoyed saying, that's the mother of my children. That, sorry, that, that wasn't supposed to be an impression of an African-American accent. It sounded more like a it. northern uh, <laughs> landlord of a pub. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, uh, yeah, what, have, they, have they done something to upset the gods? Have they not been um, uh, paying their dues? Um, uh, making, I mean, something's gone wrong for both of them in the past few weeks, hasn't it? Well, Ye would say he's annoyed the wrong people by speaking out and, and, and having free speech. So he would say, I suppose. But yeah, Kim's statement was was appalling. As for my future with Balenciaga, I'm currently reevaluating my relationship with the brand, basing it off their willingness to accept accountability for something that should never have happened to begin with, and the actions I'm expecting to see them take to protect children. It's like, no, too little, too late. Uh, but, sorry, do, Kim. Do, do, do you think what's going on there when she says I'm currently reevaluating my relationship with the brand, but doesn't actually say 
I'm, I'm going to sever all relations with them. Do you think what that really is, is an invitation to them to come in with a bigger offer in order to induce her to stay? Um, well, that's even more cynical than I thought of, Toby. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, it possibly is that. Possibly is that. Now, you, now you've mentioned it. Yeah, I thought she just didn't want to lose the ex- existing money, but maybe she wants to make even more money. That that is possible. Okay, well now let's go to Will Jones with our top stories of the week. So I'm here with Will, our editor of the Daily Skeptic, of course. And Will, we've got some good ones this week. US government report recommends return of mask mandates and social distancing. They love a mask, don't they? Yeah, they do. Shocking story here. The uh, report commissioned by the US Department of Health, they've uh, commissioned a report that has called for the return of uh, mask mandates and mandated social distancing. It says uh, that the, the government should consider either encouraging or mandating mass or social distancing in order to help prevent people getting infected because of the possibility, this is what it all comes down to, of getting long COVID. It's a, it's a um, report from a group that are concerned about long COVID. And so they're, so it's, it's all about the long COVID. So can you imagine having indefinite long time? When, when are they proposing this ends? Social distancing and masks just in in case people carry on getting uh, getting a bit ill. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it's really long, it'll never end. It's a good point. All right, let's do the test and trace one. So test and trace cost $37 billion and achieved nothing. This was a very good article I read. It's quite complicated, but I'm sure you're going to break it down for us, Will. Yeah, so this is um, Professor Carl Hennigan and Dr. Tom Jefferson from uh, Oxford University. And uh, they wrote for us about the colossal waste of money that was uh, NHS Test and Trace. £37 billion was spent on Test and Trace during the pandemic. And according to the House of Commons committee looking at this, they said no measurable difference, no measurable difference at all could be discerned uh, from this 37 billion pounds of expenditure and isn't that incredible they said the whole that the primary purpose the primary goal of test and trace was to prevent another lockdown it was started in the middle of 2020 as we know and after that the uh, house of commons pointed out there were two more lockdowns one of which lasted for the entire first half uh, of 2021. And Carl and Tom point out that £37 billion, would, the government could almost rebuild the entire NHS estate, every single hospital in the country uh, for that amount. That's the kind of amount that we're talking about. Absolutely incredible. And they are saying this needs to be a major uh, part of what the inquiry is looking at. Yeah. And he breaks down the whole flaws in testing. I mean, a key paragraph was a qualitative PCR on its own without recourse to clinical history and an estimate of viral burden cannot distinguish between contagious, convalescent and spurious cases, i.e. due to environmental contamination. If you then set arbitrary cutoffs for positivity, as has been done in most UK laboratories, you increase the number of cases by an unknown factor. So it just breaks down why it doesn't work. Yeah, really professionally done. Uh, these, two, these two are the experts, of course, on testing and all of this. And so they really go into detail about why. Um, but I mean, f- accessible detail um, about why the testing uh, was uh, the PCR testing and the LFT testing was just so useless. Yeah, yeah, accessible indeed. Even I almost understood it. So let's do this one. British Medical Journal article calls for governments to neutralize misinformation and ban dissent in pandemics. Yeah, more shocking news. This is a BMJ, British Medical Journal article, where the uh, a group, of, and this is part of their COVID inquiry series. So what they're saying, the COVID inquiry needs to look at. And it's a, an article that calls for the banning of uh, the neutralizing of misinformation and disinformation. 
Um, so neutralizing it. And, they, and in the article itself, they call for the banning of dissent, dissent from doctors, dissent from uh, scientists. They really want governments to clamp down on anything that is deemed uh, misinformation, which, as we know, simply means anything that goes against the, 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 the approved official line. Basically, whatever the government is saying, the propaganda that they're pointing out, everything else should be closed down. So um, and this this article, which is one of the authors is an, a union activist called uh, Karam Bales. And uh, so he's one of one of the authors, what he's doing authoring a, a major piece like this for the for the BMJ is un, unclear. Um, he's not the only author, but um, but he's he's certainly there. He's a, a, a proper piece of work, uh, you can see from his, his other outputs. So and this article is um, very smeary, uh, really lays into with allegations and uh, and nasty associations to us for them, an excellent organisation, of course, uh, as are all the organisations about to list. Heart, uh, the Health and Advisory and Recovery Team, uh, the UK MFA, the UK Medical Freedom Alliance, uh, and others. These are really good quality organisations uh, with medics and scientists. You know, really uh, highly qualified people with expertise, and they're being. Uh, they're being smeared as supposed agents of misinformation that need to be dealt with and punished. Uh, so, so shocking. And uh, we we published a response, a very robust response from uh, the UK MFA, which is good to be able to do that. And um, and also Dr. Claire Craig, uh, one of the leaders of Heart, had a response published in the BMJ itself. Uh, so they have actually published um, her response, uh, which is great. But still, they haven't retracted this shocking article. Mm, sounds like what my friend Carl would call a dirty, dirty smear merchant. All right, let's move on to Dr. Angus Dalgleish, who says, as an oncologist, I'm seeing people with stable cancer rapidly progress after being forced to have a booster. Now, this is definitely content that would get us banned from Apple, I suggest, but go on, Will. Yeah, Professor Angus Dalgleish, um, a professor of oncology at St. George's uh, University of London, which is a hospital associated with it, of course. Um, And he is warning about the uh, what he's seeing in his patients and also not in, only in his patients but also in people he knows his colleagues and associates he says uh, four people he knows uh, including colleagues have developed b-cell related uh, diseases um, including leukemia uh, since being boosted and in his patients he's seeing a uh, stable cancer um, rapidly pr- progress uh, this is obviously very worrying and uh, angus was actually previously uh, wrote in national press um encouraging people to be vaccinated. So this is not someone who has um, COVID vaccinated, that is. So this is not someone who has uh, been who has been instinctively against the, the vaccines. This is this is someone who's actually uh, now uh, writing things that are contrary uh, to what they to what he wrote before. So it's um, not which is, you know, never the never the easiest thing to do. So uh, so this is um, this is good that he's uh, willing to do that. Um, and the context of this was that he was writing to the editor of the the BMJ again to encourage uh, him to uh, to cover this problem um, and to look into it much more than they are and to stop covering it over. Yeah, that's a horrific stuff. That one. Let's move off COVID now and do uh, fresh doubts emerge about forty point three degree UK temperature record next to airfield runway. Moving on to climate madness here. Yeah, so you will uh, well remember, I'm sure, that in uh, the middle of July, uh, we had um, a mini heat wave. It was a, it was a very warm heat wave. And the record temperature, new UK record temperature was set at 40.3 degrees centigrade at uh, RAF Coningsby, which is, of course, 
um, an airfield. And uh, this, is, this is contentious. This was pointed out as contentious at the time because these, these thermometers, these weather stations are located by the runway. That's why they're there. They're there to, um, to check the temperature at the runway. So that's why they're there. And that means that they're subject to uh, the heat uh, from jet engines and um, after burning. So this is potentially controversial. So new information, we, um, our environmental editor, Chris Morrison, uh, contacted the Met Office and got hold of the minute-by-minute temperature data from uh, that day, July the 19th. And he discovered uh, that that temperature record actually only occurred for three minutes. And it occurred at, uh, and from 10 past three, uh, the temperature suddenly shot up by over half a degree, 0.6 degrees in the space of two minutes. And one minute later, that hit the record at 12 minutes past three. And then one minute later, it was back down again, another 0.6 degrees. And it didn't go up again above that. So a clear temperature spike for just a matter of well minutes. And the Met Office uh, tried to suggest that it was uh, to do with the clouds. But Chris got hold of the, the satellite uh, image from the time and shows there were no clouds over the over that area at the day. And there was it's also been confirmed there was a steady, gentle breeze in the direction of the weather station from the runway uh, during at that point, so it's it's looking very dubious. Um, should we put it like that, uh, Nick? That 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 is uh, yet another example. Uh, it looks like of a, a high temperature being affected by something other than the natural temperature of the air. Three minutes that will affect our lives for the next three decades, at least, probably. Let's end on this. Sixty-two percent want a net zero referendum. Poll finds. Yep. So the uh, YouGov poll. So you know, pinch of salt time as always. <laughs> you know, but still, um, it's uh, and the uh, YouGov poll found that forty-four percent of Brits who they asked said that they wanted to have a, a referendum on whether we follow net zero policies. Um, uh, that's uh, net zero carbon dioxide emissions, of course, versus twenty-seven percent who said they didn't want uh, didn't want that. So they think if you get rid of the don't knows, which is a fair thing to do because you're then just looking at those who've made up their minds, then you uh, then you find that sixty-two percent of those who who said yes or no um, said said yes. So uh, that's a clear a clear majority, uh, nearly two coming up to two thirds. And what's what's really interesting uh, to me, at least, Nick, is that sixty-six percent of Labour voters said that they wanted a, a referendum um, on it. That's, again, if you exclude the don't knows, uh, versus only 40, 56, I say only, versus 56% of Tory voters. That's still a majority, but it's, it's, it's interesting to see, uh, to me, that actually it's Labour voters are more in favour of a referendum on this uh, than Tories. So I hope Keir Starmer is, is listening. That is interesting, perhaps because Labour voters, I don't know, are struggling more with cost of living, who knows, but that is interesting. Yeah, Farage was thinking about running at one point just on the issue of a net zero referendum. What we really need is a whole new party. It's beyond the scope of our section, Will, but we need a whole new party to address climate change, you know, the immigrant crisis and absolutely everything because obviously the Tories aren't going to do it. But yeah, all right, those are good stories. And um, thanks for that, Will. We'll catch up with you again next week. Great, thanks, Nick. All right, those are our stories. Let's go to Peak Woke. So, Toby, I have a few Pete Wokes, as always. Uh, do you want to go first? Did you have anything uh, that was just a burning desire to get out in this Pete Woke? Well, I, 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 one, one thing I was going to mention, um, uh, and I hope uh, you haven't already got it, is the um, decision of the directors of the Welcome Museum um, to cancel the Medicine Man exhibition, um, which was, I think, 
part of their permanent exhibition. And the medicine man in question was Henry Welcome, um, whose money, um, uh, you know, is is was given to the Welcome Foundation, and which is paying all of their salaries. And yet, the directors of this museum have become woke and decided that this exhibition of Henry Welcome, kind of who was a missionary, um, uh, bringing Western medicine to far-flung parts of the globe, is racist, ableist, colonialist. I mean, they've essentially condemned him in the kind of, you know, most kind of, uh, you know, in the, in the in the worst possible way, uh, and they've 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 closed this exhibition. Um, and so they're denouncing, you know, their founder. And you think something, it would worry me if I was a philanthropist, you know, if I, if I had billions and was thinking about, you know, my legacy and what to do with my money. I think twice now, I think, before setting up a museum, knowing that in a hundred years time, the directors of that museum could well completely denounce me as a kind of ableist and colonialist and whatever else. I mean, it's sort of like, it's, it's not great news for the kind of philanthropy industry or the museum industry. You'd think they'd, you know, they'd show a bit more respect to the person whose money their spending and he's which is paying their salaries yeah that was a shocking one i definitely considered it i didn't go with it in the end i thought i'd leave it i thought you might like that one but um there's a few that i saw one daylight savings time disproportionately affects people of color that was an interesting claim there was the fact that rotherham was made children's capital of culture which seems more like just sort of trolling than than peak woke the one i've gone with is annabelle rockwell so this is an heiress to a Manhattan pharmaceutical company, and she went to an elite uh, university. It was it was Mount Holyoke in Western Massachusetts, or one of these expensive ones. Anyway, I don't know if it's an elite one, but her mother had to then pay three hundred dollars a day for a deprogrammer to help her unlearn the woke ideologies that she had been brainwashed with, because she'd been told that the patriarchy was oppressing her, and that I mean, this is one of the least oppressed people in the world. This is a twenty-nine-year-old, uh, good-looking blonde woman who's rich <laughs> even by lefty standards it doesn't really get much less oppressed than that but she went to this college was told that she was oppressed and was completely brainwashed told to you know she started to hate her family who she'd always loved and they and it was just a really sick example of, of woke brainwashing and now she's got out of it she's been deprogrammed and you can tell the deprogramming worked because she believes in god again she stopped drinking and she now works for prager you <laughs> <laughs> so that is that is some good deprogramming. Who who is that guy? Yeah, uh, I might need to hire him. Um, <laughs> I wonder if I wonder if he, I wonder if they can deprogram people down the right wing rabbit hole as well. Perhaps perhaps I could introduce him to James Dellingpole. Um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, I, I've got another one for you, which is uh, I don't think we covered it last week. I don't know if you saw this, but the Crown Prosecution Service. Um, in England and Wales announced last week, they said that um, it should now be, uh, well, they they announced that it was inappropriate to say out loud certain sections of the Bible in public. So this was in connection with the prosecution of an evangelical street preacher. And the prosecution, I think, collapsed because the complainant um, failed to appear in court. But before the prosecution collapsed, the CPS had submitted some written evidence. And in this written evidence, it said that uh, it regarded quoting certain biblical passages in public as now inappropriate, by which it, which it meant, I think, that it could now be 
legitimately regarded as an offence under the Public Order Act 1986 and that someone could be prosecuted for it. So certain sections of the Bible, Nick, um, uh, have become criminalised. And if you if you read them out loud in a public place, you could go to jail. That's pretty shocking, isn't it? Absolute madness. I don't even know where to begin with that one. You'll have to send me that so I can maybe bring it up on Irreverend. But I don't know who wins Pete Woke, Toby. I, my suggestion actually is that the trans Jesus thing actually trumps us all, but it was too important to put it just in peak woke. So I sort of think that Jesus beats us all and we both get weak poke. What do you think? Yeah, I think um, honours even this week. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, split, we'll split the spoils. Okay, fair enough. Um, so Toby has to go. I'm just going to very quickly say thanks for your top reviews. We've got a great one here. The first part of it insulted someone who isn't actually on the podcast. I won't read that. It, it, it's called Not To Be Missed, this review. And it says, Nick Dixon has me cracking up the whole way through the podcast and anchors the show brilliantly. Wasn't even trying to be funny, guys. Including the section with Will Jones helps break things up nicely. But of course, nothing tops peak woke. Thanks, guys. I love the show. And someone else has said, stay skeptical, guys, which is my new catchphrase. And they said, came here straight from Nick's shameless plug mid-show on GBN. And this is what you need to be doing, Toby, just shamelessly plug it. I even said, well, what you should do, Mark, is you should go to the Daily Skeptic website. I find them very informative. And also, there's a podcast. I just did it as if it was a, <laughs> I had no relationship <laughs> to it, which probably is not that ethical. But then I did admit it later. So start plugging it on GB News. Uh, so donate, as always, dailyskeptic.org to donate. Anything else to add, Toby? Yeah, no, I am. I don't appear on GB News quite as often as you, but I am definitely going to start plugging the Weekly Skeptic on GB News. Just to say sorry to you, Nick, and to the um, listeners this week for being in a bit of a hurry. I've had a, I've had a, it's been a manic 24 hours for me because um, Michelle Donnellan, the digital secretary, um, uh, unveiled her compromise with respect to the online safety bill. And um, she has created, I think, some slightly more robust protections for free speech in the bill. I don't think she goes far enough. Uh, but I was trying to get my head around exactly what she's done. And I've been studying what we've seen of the new bill, reading the DCMS press release, the amendments that Michelle Donnellan has published that she's going to make to the bill. Um, and I've been tweeting about it and trying to write something about it for The Spectator and trying to get my head around that while doing my Spectator column. And tonight is also the um, Christmas dinner the, of the Free Speech Union, which we're trying to squeeze in before the um, England-Wales game. Uh, and we're all going off to a sports bar later to watch that. So it's been a pretty manic 24 hours. And, and to top it all, I'm not very well. Um, having written about being superhumanly healthy and never being ill for The Spectator last week, I've come down with a bit of a stinker of a, of a cold. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a tough, tough 24 hours. So I, I, I beg your forgiveness. Yeah, well, a couple of just very briefly. One, why was I not invited to the meal as a member of the Free Speech Union Advisory Board? Well, we can talk about that off air. Uh, <laughs> two, yeah, sorry for the short episode. Toby is a workaholic, but that's the whole reason we even have a podcast in the first place. So you have to balance it out. And um, yeah, sorry it was slightly shorter, guys, but but thank you for listening as ever. And stay skeptical. We'll see you next week. <laughs>